We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tonight. I recently preached a series in our adult Bible class on the importance of fellowship. And uh, I want to share a, a version of that thought with the church family tonight. And uh, I, I think it's a, a, a really good thought. Apostle Paul, of course, is an example here. And this statement he makes in our text I think is amazing and something that I, I would hope could be true of us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Evidently, God's grace can be given to us, and we can fail to fully work that grace out in our lives. We can waste it. We can somehow not utilize that power that influence of God that's in our hearts. And the Apostle Paul said, now for me that's not true. God gave me the gift of grace. It worked in me. It worked through me. And then it, it, it was used in the life of other people. It was not in vain. We knew he was saved. So he's talking about his contribution was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments as we simply consider this verse. Lord, what it means not to, Lord, receive the grace of God in vain. Lord, rather to be a conduit of grace to others would, would be the aim this evening. This is something we all can work on, that we could uh, give effort to this evening, and Lord, tomorrow and the days to come. So I pray you'd help us with it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks. Thank you for standing. We're in the Thanksgiving season. And Brother Daniel is preaching some messages on that subject. He's done an excellent job in looking forward you know, to a couple more of those thoughts. If we were to count our blessings, I think chief among them, and rightly so, would simply be you know, God's work in our life, what God has done in us and for us. Um, if I was saying, you know, what is the greatest thing God has done for me, I would say it is, gift, it is His gift of grace you know, to me. The Bible tells us that by grace... You know, we are saved. That is the, the gift that God gives us. Charis is this free gift of God made possible by the you know, atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We just have to receive it by faith, but God just gives it. It's not merited. It's not earned. It's just, it's a beautiful gift. It's an amazing gift that God gives us of His grace. Grace is also, though, the source of our strength. It is grace that gets us through difficult times. It is grace that carries us through all the seasons of life. And then grace, of course, is the agency. It is the means of our ongoing transformation. You know, humanity as humans, I suppose, made someone in the likeness of God. We, we can improve ourselves, at least, you know, in the way we measure ourselves among ourselves. You know, we can stop some habits. We can get a little bit better. We can work on some things. But genuine transformation, becoming more like Jesus Christ in image, takes the grace of God. And we can do so much. But, you know, God's grace can take us to levels we could never attain by ourselves in becoming truly in heart and in the way we behave like the Lord Jesus Christ. So, grace is a power of God working in us. But here's the thought. God's grace that works in us ultimately is supposed to work through us. And there's a difference. It's a continual action. You know, if you imagine with me maybe a cup or a pitcher or a bowl, 
And often when we think of that, you know, that's the end. We, we pour something in it and then, of course, we, we may consume it or whatever else. But the idea here is that, you know, we are vessels. And so the grace of God is poured into our lives. And, and that pouring of God's grace in, it does something to the vessel. It transforms those vessels. It saves the vessel, but it also changes it, transforms it. But that's not the end of God's grace. What God's grace does is then He wants us to take that vessel and then He wants us to use as a conduit uh, or, you know, to pour that grace out of ourselves into the life of others. You know, so I can say this, and I, I, I am what I am by the grace of God. I, I, I've been changed by God's grace. But I could also say this, the grace working in other people's lives has also changed me. You know, there's a lot of people who have touched my life by the grace of God, and that's marked me, it's changed me. Different people in the course of my lifetime have left an indelible mark on my life. And that was the impetus for that, their action in my life, you know, was God's grace. They, they worked, uh, God worked through them and me. In other words, we're not just to receive grace, but we are to extend grace and offer it to other people. You know, the Bible, this is just a principle in Ephesians chapter 4, you know, the, the idea there is about forgiveness. And you and I are to give forgiveness because we receive forgiveness. And we're to be kind to the people because God was kind to us. There's this principle that what we receive from God, we are supposed to in turn receive from others. So, you know, for you and I to withhold forgiveness when someone's offended us makes no sense for the Christian. Because yet while we're sinners, Christ forgave us. You know, so we're to extend to other people. Christ was good to us. We're to be good to the people. Well, God gave us grace. And so we are to be an agency of grace like the Apostle Paul was. He says, I was changed by grace. But he says, it caused me to labor. Matter of fact, more abundantly than all. Um, Philippians and Ephesians and Galatians talked about how God's grace came to Paul and then worked through Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as well, I believe. This, all these texts are about you know, grace coming to Paul, but then not stopping there, going on to flow into the life of others. And so when Paul said, I am one of I am by the grace of God, you know, what a profound statement because Paul was so many things. You know, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Um, you know, his intellect was probably somewhat equivalent to Einstein or, or, or better. Uh, everything that Paul did, he excelled. And yet, you know, with, with parentage and heredity and genetics and culture and education, all to be considered, the Apostle Paul said, you know, when I think about it, all these factors have, have maybe molded me to a degree, but nothing has changed me more than the grace of God. And, it's, and, and he wasn't just saying that. It's not just that it changed me. But if you think about the trajectory of Paul's life, it changed what he was doing. You know, before grace, Paul was the persecutor of the church. And after grace, you know, Paul was the producer of the church. He was, you, he, he, the Lord used him to, to start churches and to build churches. Like it, it just didn't change him. The grace of God changed the world. And that's just amazing to me. He went from sinner to saint. Again, from someone who did bad things to someone who did incredibly gracious things. He became the major source of blessing, instruction, and education to the church. Um, grace worked in him mightily and how it changed him. But it also worked through him with exceeding power in the lives of other people. See, Paul understood that. Paul understood that grace was a power to be extended to others. It was, it was, a, it was a manifestation of God's goodness in this world. And that's really important. Grace through us is a light. It's part of what, you know, Jesus said be salt and light. You know, he's not just asking us to, you know, just to shine from a power within ourselves. He's saying there's a power that you're receiving. 
that, that will allow you to shine in such a way that men will see your good works and glorify you know, the Father that is in heaven. I want you to think about that. You know, we are to be change agents. You know, that's what salt is. You know, light illuminates, but salt changes things. It changes the character of things. It preserves things. And that's God's true intent and grace to change us and then to change the world in turn. So then here's the thought. And this is, this is the challenge for all of us. If we were to limit or to diminish, um, if we were to quench, if we were to be even indifferent to the grace of God. Okay, we suffer loss for that. That makes sense, right? Or just this power that God gives me in, in grace. And, you know, if, if I was to be a nominal Christian, if I was to be, you know, just a, a pew potato or whatever else, you know, I, I, I just, I'm grateful for what God gives me in grace and the salvation I have. Okay, that's, that's, that's great, but God wants so much more for me than that. So if, if, I, if I diminished that or didn't cooperate with that, I would be diminishing my, myself. But that's not all. I would be diminishing you. I'd be diminishing every relationship that I had. I would be diminishing the potential that I had to make any change in people that maybe I wouldn't otherwise know. It would keep me from witnessing. It'd keep me from being maybe as kind or as gracious or as good or thoughtful, um, empathetic as I possibly could. In other words, to, to thwart God's grace, to, to, to take, have it in vain, is not just to rob myself, it's to rob the world. And I, I'm not sure that that's really what God intended to ever be an option. This is something that, you know, I've asked this church family to think soberly about in the past. We don't only have a responsibility to, to allow God to work in us and to change me and to change us, but I have a responsibility to allow God's grace to work in me so that I can be an influence and work in the life of other people. If I don't, I diminish the goodness in the world. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. This world is in desperate need of some goodness. And that's just a word that makes sense to me. But the world is not good. And people, you know, none of us are innately good, but you, you don't turn on the news and get good news. You get a lot of other stuff. You go to work and people talking and you're not hearing all good news. You know, this world is in desperate need of the grace of God and the goodness that that can bring to other people. If, if we don't bring that goodness, then where is it going to come from in a fallen, sinful world? So my point, our connection with others is incredibly important. That touch, that connection, the love, the help, the encouragement is important. In, in its absence, the world suffers and so do we. That's why, you know, we talk about ministry here and want everybody to be involved in ministry formally and informally. You never know who you're going to sit by. You never know who's going to be on a Sunday. You, you never know what difference you, your light. You know, we, we have the light up here. Uh, there's actually a lot of light up here. But we have, you know, we have, we have the, the, the light that's trying to emanate from the pole, but we have the light that's trying to emanate from the choir. You know, we have people who practice over here. Uh, we have greeters out there. We have ushers. In other words, we have all of these kind of institutional points of light and goodness. But I don't know that any of that's going to matter as much as yours. Just yours. And, and the way do you interact with the guest who walks in or someone who comes in or even our own church family? You know, that, that may be the biggest difference that someone makes is, is not the sermon or not the music, 
but maybe it's a, it's a Sunday interaction because their week's been hard or something's been difficult or some guest walks in and, you know, they don't know the Lord and they're trying to either evaluating, you know, Christianity in the Lord based on what we do or what we don't do on a given Sunday. In an academic journal on human flourishing, and I'm going to probably borrow some thoughts I remember Daniel speaking about earlier, and I think even Britain did as well. There was some research identifying what causes, what causes human beings to stay you know, really happy. And I don't, by that I don't mean tritely happy, but I mean to be filled with a measure of joy. And researchers studied the variables that cause people to languish and to thrive, to be happy or discouraged. And the findings consistently revealed that one factor, and you know what it's going to be, you know, constantly distinguished the two groups of those who are happy and satisfied with life with those who are not. And it was not how much money they made, not the place where they live, not even their physical health, which is somewhat surprising. It wasn't their security, their popularity, their position, their attractiveness, or even the freedom from hardness and pain, which is really amazing. Rather, what consistently distinguished happier people, thriving people, from less happy or languishing people was simply the presence of rich, meaningful, deep relationship, connection with other people, family, and I mean that physical family, church family, friends, and other relationships. That is what brings the human heart ultimate joy. You know, you can take a thousand things away from me, but don't take my relationships away. You know, um, that, that's the thing that all of us need. Spending time with and caring for people is indispensable to human joy. And, and, and here's the thing, the Bible says it's more blessed to do what? To give than to receive. So hold on. So in receiving something, there's a blessing. But in giving something, there's a greater blessing. So, you know, we often think if, if, if I was a recipient, if I had this, you know, we, we kind of think it in the reverse terms, I would be happier. And, and, I, and I wouldn't argue that, that maybe if some things come our way, we might have a smile for a moment. But a more lasting joy is going to come when we're the giver of the gifts, when we're the giver of the things. And beyond that, we initiate a principle in reaping and sowing that when you give joy, you're probably going to find it. When you give happiness a smile, you're probably going to find those same things in return and even in greater measure than you meet them out yourself. That is an absolute biblical principle because God is a debtor to no man. Having a positive connection with family and friends is one of the smartest, most necessary things that each one of us can do to make a difference in the world and to make a difference in our own lives. There's a researcher named Robert Putman who said this, the single most common finding from 50 years of research on life satisfaction is that happiness is, a, is best predicted by the breadth, the depth of one's social connectedness. So the more we isolate ourselves, the more we guarantee that we're going to have less joy in our lives. And that's true because God made us for fellowship. He made us for connection. We are made in the image of God. We can't run away from that. We can't get, you know, no matter what we do, we can only violate that so much. And, and God exists in a, in a trinity, a plurality, and it's, it, it is an eternal fellowship. And, and, of course, the impetus for our own salvation was the fellowship that was rejoined through Christ's work. You know, one of the greatest biblical theological words about in soteriology or salvation is called reconciliation. Now, we all know what that means, right? If Al and I are mad at each other, um, you know, there, there's a gap between us. But when we're reconciled, we close the gap. Well, why would we close the gap? Because the distance is no fun. The distance is miserable. 
And there's greater joy when we, when we can connect again. And so God went to unimaginable lengths to reconcile us. A fancy word to say, so we can be, have fellowship with God again. You know, we could pray to Him and He would speak to us. And so we even have this manifestation of fellowship. You know, it's that important, uh, you know, to the Lord. He made us for connection. He made us to love and He made us to be loved. Um, God, again, wants us to give His grace to others. And, you know, the greatest moment of anxiety for the Lord, of, of angst, was when he, we had that broken fellowship with God on the cross. And so it's, it's incredibly important. When we interact with others by simply trying to dispense God's grace, when we smile, when we touch, when we help, when we speak words of encouragement, you know, our words should always be seasoned with what? Salt, grace, uh, to be a help to the people. It nourishes a soul. It helps someone. And, and it does so at a, at a deep level. So consider the, the opposite. When our interactions with others, I'll start with benign, are indifferent or negative, we become directly responsible for destroying the soul which God wants us to cultivate good in the lives of other people. That's a big deal. In other words, we are simply not tending the garden that God has given us to tend in our own hearts and lives of others. This is why God again says, be you kind, tender hearted toward each other, love one another. Uh, our words should always be you know, gracious and seasoned with salt. That there's life and death in the power of the tongue. When we dispense grace, we impart life to other people. We help them to have joy and to flourish. We are contributing to the, the diminishment of discouragement and evil in a really bad world. Social scientist Donald Weinkoff observed and discovered you know, uh, what's been hardwired in our hearts, you know, forever by God. And this is real simple. Um, he found that children feel safer and more secure when in the immediate presence of their parents. So tonight before service, I had Ian, uh, Ian. Ian was in camouflage. I guess that burned in my brain. He had gone hunting, I guess. Easton was my office in Lincoln. And of course, I have a toy cabin over there and they're playing for a moment. And so Easton walked in, and uh, Abigail's and Nathan's little boy. And so he's in there running around, and all of a sudden the guys start coming in before service. And you know, the guys who come to my office are pretty intimidating and scary. <laughs> and so, you know, he finds his way to a family member, and he's right here, you know, because there's security in that presence. And they know as, we, as long as we smile, then all of a sudden, then there's this kind of freedom to begin to play again and do all that. But you subtract the power of the presence of the, of the parent, or in this case, a thousand aunts and uncles, his behavior will not be the same. It will not be the same. He will withdraw. He'll be quieter. He may even be a little afraid. But put that parent or family member in there, and all of a sudden, you have a different child. And of course, you, you know, when God's in our life, we're supposed to become a different child. But in, in, in a way, when we become a friend to someone, when we fellowship, when we connect, we're doing the same thing in a way for people. They become more. They can become other. They can become, you know, they can grow. And, and, and of course, most of us understand this. I, I just think it's important that we consider 
the principle. It's not that parents are doing for the child what he can't do for themselves. It's just the, the power of presence, of connection, of relationship is very powerful. It brings out what is best in us. That's why loving one another is the greatest gift that we can give and or receive from someone else. And failure to love those around us is in a way to hurt others in the worst possible way. People who are socially disconnected, we know, languish. People who are begin to thrive, and that's super important. So with that truth in mind, just very quickly, I, I just want us to think about this this evening. Um, and and, and here, here's why I think about this. I, I think about, you know, I think about the example of Brother Di in connectedness and uh, how that touched so many people. I think about the holidays. The holidays were the greatest times of the world. You know, we love it. But the primary reason most of us love the holidays is because who we spend them with. You subtract that, the holidays can be incredibly lonely. And we have learned this over the years. Um, you know, Daniel's always good to remind us of this. People often will come and visit the church on the holidays because the great impetus there is probably loneliness. They're trying to find someone to connect with. People more receptive to the gospel, receive a tract during this time. Because the truth is, it's not so much what we have, you know, more appealing in that moment. It's just the season brings to mind they probably want some kind of relationship or connection that they, they may not have. So it's really important that we might be extra considerate of this in the next few months. So the thought is this, look to the needs of others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about Timothy and how unique he is. He's appealing to the church to have bowels and mercies there and to take care of each other and, and, and then to be concerned in appropriate ways about the needs of others. And specifically in that context in the church, but we could also broaden that application just to people that we work with, we go to school with in our lives. It should be a major objective and goal of our lives um, every day to be a source of of help, blessing, and someone else's life. I, I, I've already said this, you know, uh, my life has been indelibly marked by X number of people, by lots of people in this room tonight. Um, I think about Terry's love, my kids' love, uh, you know, different people here, the staff. You know, all those people have helped me secure more positive benefits in my life, and I would like to think that some of my interaction with them secured benefits for them as well. Finding a need and trying to meet that need. Sharing a note in the holiday season. We have people in our church who will be spending their first holiday alone. Man, to be thoughtful towards them would be a blessing, wouldn't it? And um, to stop by, maybe, and see them, to write a note, um, to, in, to lengthen your table, maybe, and invite someone else to be there. You know, those are little things that could, mean, could be a big thing to someone else. Uh, there may be a young couple who's brand new in our area, you know, and they have each other, but they don't know anybody else in Tulsa. Is there people like that? Yeah, we have quite a few of those probably right now. And if, if you just pay attention and look, those kind of things exist. We're not talking about financial need or huge need. We're talking about connection needs. Just being a part of uh, something more than themselves. You know, we, at this course of time, you know, we're, everyone's babysitting for each other as we go to these different parties and do whatever else. There's repairs that need to be brought. There's just people who need notes of encouragement. 
There's an old saying in real estate, location, location, location. It's a big deal. And when it comes to relationships, and I mean this in an appropriate way, it's about observation, observation, observation. Simply uh, looking for ways to be a blessing. Not to be nosy, we don't need any more of that. Looking for ways to be a blessing to other people. This is what the Apostle Paul was encouraging in Philippians 2. Meet the needs of others, care about them, love them, and do something good for them. Someone said, if you can't do great things for someone, do little things with great big love, and it'll make a difference. Another application, of course, I've already mentioned, but lift others with encouraging words. Um, speaking to someone in a positive way is incredibly transformative uh, in our lives. Why life and death are in the power of the tongue. Probably nothing holds more power to help or to heal someone than simple words of encouragement. Um, who among us grows weary of I love you? And for young people, I'm proud of you. Um, for someone to say, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. you know, what can I do? I'm listening to you. I'll be there for you. There's a thousand words. But these are the kind of words that God speaks to us. Why do we find such solace in Psalms, uh, different passages of the Word of God? Because as we read the words, those words, of course, they're living, impart life to us. Right? I mean, you, re you read your Bible, and you take your pen, and you underline it. Why? Because those words are meaningful. Okay? I, I know our, we, don't, we don't speak the words of God that way. But when I speak to you and you speak to me, there's just times you like you just underline that. You know, it's, it imparts life. And that's super important that we're thinking that our words, either written, verbal, whatever, they do the same thing. You know, we should take time to speak intentionally and purposely gracious words to another. They can uh, redeem and rescue and restore a soul. And then thirdly, lighten others with joy. Proverbs 17.22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Now, that's true for you and it's true for the people you interact with. Nothing is more contagious than joy and happiness and a positive attitude. And conversely, the opposite would probably be true as well. A 20-year study of more than 5,000 people in social interactions, you know, echoed the truth that joy is a medicine. I, I, this, this is such a great thought. They found that when someone interacts with someone else in a very positive way, that that interaction is like a ripple on a pond. Okay, so you, you, know, you throw a little rock in a pond, and okay, so that's where it hits, but then these ripples go out, and you know, there's just kind of like a large, you know, number of these things that continue on. So, you know, if I, if I come in, I have a positive interaction with Josh, and we did tonight, we, we visited just a little bit, talking about hunting, and, uh, but if I smile at Josh and we have a positive interaction, you know, then he's more likely to have a positive interaction with the person he speaks to next. And they found that the average person who engages in a positive with someone else, that there's three degrees of separation for that to continue. So I'm nice to you, and then you tend to be nice to another, and like, it's, it's like the ripples in a pond, it kind of continues beyond the moment. Like your goodness to someone else may end up being a ripple of goodness in someone else's life. So when that guy or woman goes home, maybe she's a better spouse, a better parent, or whatever else for the moment. That is incredibly powerful to know. 
Um, if that is true, how much more deliberate should we be to strive to be joyful in the presence of other people? Our own family, and of course, in others. Joy can change your heart. Sometimes, I, sometimes you don't know what to say. You don't have words of wisdom. You, you don't know what to do, but if you can just go and be happy in someone's presence, it's a medicine. It's a help. It's a reason to smile. Even if it's hard for you, it's a good reason to smile. If you want to have a small part in changing the world and enriching other people's lives, simply interact with others in a happy, cheerful, deliberate way. So again, I want us to think about this going the holiday season. I think it's important. Um, I, I think we can do a lot to cure loneliness and um, maybe some discouragement lives of others. So I, I want to posit this with you and I'll be finished tonight. I want to challenge you tonight to rethink just a little, not complete, I want to challenge you to rethink just a little what it means to grow in grace. Okay, what does it mean to grow in grace? We often think about growing in grace, you know, like change for us, and, and that's fair, to be transformed by grace. So I'm going to grow in grace. So I'm going to become more like Christ, more like Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to conform. I'm going to transform. I'm going to have, my morality is going to be better. My ethics are going to be better. My character is going to be better. You know, I'm going to do these things, and that's okay. But I think a whole lot of what it means to grow in grace is how much grace are you pouring out in the lives of others? Two millimeters or a couple gallons. Growing in grace possibly could be measured in the contribution that you are making in the lives of others. Not just your own personal growth. Now, that personal growth includes loving other people. Well, then that would be the idea tonight. In the coming days, weeks, and next two months, there are seniors, there are singles, there are families, there are people outside of our immediate sphere who need a phone call. They need a note, an email, a text. Um, they need maybe an invitation. They need you to be happy, happier around them, happy for them. A touch of God's grace may just go a long way, especially if you ask God for some creativity and wisdom to be what God wants to be. And so grace may not only I am what I am by the grace of God, and maybe someone else could be more uh, in their life because of the grace of God working in and through you. So let me ask you to think about that. If you stand tonight, let's pray.